love toys. Anybody remember, like, Toys R Us? Remember that store? Okay. Remember when they would do, like, the kids would win the drawing to go in with, like, a full shopping cart, and they had, like, five minutes to load it with as much as they could? I think it was, like, a Nickelodeon show. That was, like, my dream in life. Like, if I could have that, everything in my life would have been fulfilled. And my parents, every time I would go to a store, you know, get a toy, whether it's saved up for, whether it's on the spot, whatever it is, I could not wait to get home to open it. Like, in my lap, in the seat, I just could not wait. And the older you get, the more intricate the toys get, and the more, like, small pieces end up in the box, all those kind of things. I think I actually enjoyed just the idea of getting the toy more than I actually did the toy. Because then I would open it in the car, and inevitably, most often, I would lose a small piece of the toy in the car. You know, like that, like, eternal void somewhere in the car where, like, things get dropped and you just can't get to it because you're terrified that your hand's going to get stuck or something like that? Almost every time I would get home and I'd end up in tears because I couldn't get whatever the piece is to, like, finish playing with the toy or whatever it is. My parents had to have been driven crazy every single time. And really what it indicated is that I had zero patience to wait. I I had zero patience to actually wait for the fullness of what this toy was going to offer me to play with, myself, or whatever it is. And I, I wonder for you this morning, are you patient? Are you patient? Like if you were to pause, that's a little bit of a rhetorical question because I think the quick answer is probably no. But let's do it this way. Have you ever stopped and thought about some of the consequences or repercussions in your life when you are impatient? If you think about this last week, as you think about the last year, as you think about maybe things still showing up in your life today, from maybe an impulse or an impatient decision or impatient action even from years ago. You know, it's interesting, this idea of patience is that I've never heard anyone say like, man, that person is just too patient. I can't believe them. Can you believe, like, they just, they're just patient. Every time they need to make a decision, every time I'm around them, the way they handle themselves at work, the way they raise their kids, who they are when things are kind of going wrong, they're just, they're just too patient. I'm sick of it. And they need to stop it. No one ever says that. So why don't we talk about patience more? I, I know it's usually when we're trying to tell, like, a two-year-old to be patient who can't comprehend being two, Right, like actually like patience is impossible, like a young child not wanting to wait to get home to open up a toy. But I wonder for you, again, if you pause for a moment, can you think about the last time you were impatient? And how'd that go? How is that still showing up today? And as we continue in our Advent series leading up to Christmas, today we're talking about peace. So again, historically, the church has looked at a number of characteristics of God, more or less, that we can actually access in our lives through the coming of Jesus. Because we lead up to look at the birth of Jesus here on Christmas Day, which he definitely wasn't born on Christmas Day, but you need to have a marker somehow. We can actually look at who God is and how he's interacted in the world. And so when you think about this idea of patience, and we imagine the world that we live in right now, how like how much at peace are you at? Maybe even the deeper question is where do you find your peace right now? I looked through, I chose not to pull the pictures up because I didn't know how many would be dramatic, but most time uh, the Atlantic um, 
others will put out like the, the 100 years to, to capture, or the 100 photos to capture the year. So you can actually look back at the year in pictures. We're not completely done with 2022, but there's a lot already up. And every like one out of four or five is something to like celebrate or be joyful about. But really what the pictures are mostly capturing is war, is tragedy, is loss, is death, is unmet expectations, hopes and dreams just crumbled, people laying in the streets, lifeless. Like if, if, if you keep working through, if you think about the state of the world right now, and maybe how we're not at peace, I wonder how much it has to do with patience. Like if you think about war, if you think about the exercising of power, how much of it is because someone is impatient with having power? If you think about the way that we're in financially, whether at large or in your own life, how much of it is due to impatience, needing and wanting to have everything now and as much as we can have now, opening the toy in the car now. How, how much of the world that we're in, when we desire, we hope for, we long for a more peaceful world where people are right with each other, the way that God originally created and intended it to be, to be in shalom, to be holistic peace, to be in right standing with him and with each other, where people are treated equally, where people have the same access to things, where people were not taken advantage. The way God created things to be that we continue to long for, I wonder how much has to do with patience, and I wonder how much of it falling apart started because of someone's impatient access to grab something that wasn't theirs in the first place. Because God created something for us to enjoy, and we tried to enjoy too much of it on our own time. How much of your own life right now, if we hone in a little bit, if you think about the ways in which you have anxiety, the ways you have stress, the ways you have worries, the way you have fear, how much of it has to do with impatience? I know for me, the things that most often keep me up at night are the things that are five years away, that are probably never going to happen. It's the things that something happens in the moment, and I start to forecast or foretell what the consequence is years out, or the things that we've said or put out months, years in advance, and now all of a sudden, I start to fall apart a little bit because I, I need to know it now. I, I, I can't live in this tension of not having it now. I can't live in this tension of not knowing it now, and I lose peace. I lose sleep. I become more anxious. I become more frustrated. I become a worse spouse. I become a worse father. I become a worse friend. I become a worse leader. Where do you find your peace? This morning, where do you find your peace? And I think God can help with this through the story of Zechariah. So when we pick up in Luke 1, what's happening here is we're actually carrying forward from the Old Testament into the New, and we're picking up with Zechariah and Elizabeth. And Luke starts to tell this narrative, and in Luke he's intertwining, the author is intertwining the birth narrative of John the Baptist, simultaneously the birth narrative of Jesus. And he has certain points at which he's matching the two over, and he's telling a story for us to pay attention to. And Zechariah can be a forgotten character in the story, and we can just think of maybe those who are in the nativity scene. But I think he has some important things for us. So it starts here in Luke. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. 
Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Now what's happening here is is Zechariah more or less is stepping into once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. When it says that by lot he was chosen, meaning essentially his family was drawing sticks. And the one that, whoever picked up the right one would have an opportunity to go and burn incense inside the temple of the Lord. You could never enter back in. So as a man doing this, this is a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It talks about uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth being holy people, people who have consecrated their lives to the Lord. They've lived faithfully. They've been upstanding. At the same time, they've had loss because they've longed for a child and it has never come. So they're still barren to this point. Years have gone past. You can imagine Zechariah in this moment being very hopeless having now this opportunity to do a priestly duty that everyone dreams of doing that most will not get the opportunity to. You can imagine him entering in, and I, I would think that maybe this idea of going in and praying for a child might be a little bit lost because now he has a new opportunity to hear God's voice inside the temple to give a word on behalf of all the people of Israel. And I can imagine him being encouraged and walking in and saying, you know what, the things have not worked out in my life the way I want them to, but I get to bring a blessing to all of God's people through this moment. And I can imagine him entering in with expectation, with hope, with joy, with excitement. And then it continues. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord. And the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So he enters in, an angel appears and does exactly what he's hoping for and gives him a word. And what's interesting is that word actually, in first glance, doesn't actually say something like, hey, go and tell all of the people this. But it actually speaks to the thing that he's been, he and Elizabeth have been longing for. And the story goes on that Zechariah in a moment here says, no, that can't, that can't happen. That can't be true. And the angel immediately says, well, if you doubt me, then you will not be able to speak. And immediately, Zechariah is speechless. He becomes mute. Some even say by some of his actions afterwards, he may not even be able to hear. So Zechariah, the thing that he has longed for, the thing that he has prayed for, the thing that he has wanted forever, has now been promised to him by an angel. Yet walking out of here, he can't even tell anybody about it. He has to try and wave his hands. And some people would probably think as he tries to tell his wife, who somehow he did, how somehow he did, they would all think, wait, 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 I thought you were supposed to go in and get a word for all of us. But you just went in and learned that you're going to have a kid. What does that do for the rest of us? 
I wonder for you this morning, how many things in your life are like that of Zechariah, the things that you've hoped for, the things that you've longed for, the things that aren't going the way that you want them to, the things that you want to have happening that aren't happening, the areas in which you feel like God isn't showing up, maybe even in the areas like Zechariah that as he has made someone mute and incapable, maybe you feel somehow impaired, maybe that's physically, mentally, emotionally, that you feel in a state of despair that your prayers are not being answered, that the things hoped for continue to be hopeless. I don't think Zechariah's story is too far away from our own. But what ends up happening here that I think is very interesting is that Zechariah waits. He's mute. Elizabeth finds out that she's going to be pregnant four or five months later. She becomes pregnant. She celebrates. She has a song. There's excitement. Zechariah is still mute. Zechariah still can't talk. Zechariah can't lay his head on his wife's stomach and speak to the baby that is growing inside. Zechariah cannot communicate to the family that are coming over expectantly for this baby, John the Baptist, to be born. And then what happens is it comes nine months later. The baby's born. Eight days later, family comes over for the circumcision where they name the child. And Zechariah can't speak. So someone says, oh, we should name him Zechariah. And in that moment, Elizabeth shouts out and says, no, his name will be John. And they all look and say, well, well, hold on. You can't name him John. You have no one in your lineage that's named John, so therefore you can't. And it's in that moment that someone hands Zechariah a tablet. And and Zechariah writes on the tablet, his name will be John. And in that moment, his voice opens up. He can speak. He can shout. He can sing, he can celebrate all the things that have been building up in him that hadn't come to that point. All the things that he desired that weren't happening. And he celebrates and he breaks into song and his second half of the song says this. I have it up there? Yes. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. To shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the path of peace. There's something here in Zechariah's story that it's, it's his patience that ends up pointing to the peace that Jesus will bring. That John the Baptist, his son, goes and tells the world about. When things were not going well for Zechariah, he was patient. And maybe when you say that he was muted by an angel, he didn't have the choice to be patient. But it was in the time that God had that he brought about a child to tell us about the one who ultimately would bring peace in this world. It was Zechariah's patience that points to the peace of Jesus. And I wonder for you this morning, where might actually practicing patience create space for the peace of Jesus? In what ways in your life might you need to stop? In what ways might you need to slow down? In what ways might you need to wait? Even though it feels against the grain, even though it makes no sense, even though everything inside of you is saying to desire, to get, to have now. So I just want to pause for a moment. What I want to invite us in to do is just to ask God to speak to you. 
So if you can and feel willing, if you could close your eyes. And just for a couple minutes here. And pause, maybe take a deep breath or two. Feel yourself in your seat. Just allow God to bring to mind areas in your life where you lack peace. now, whether something came up or not, which of these areas may you be lacking patience? And which of the areas that you're lacking peace may you also be lacking patience? with those in mind that read the words of Jesus. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Again, just inviting the words of Jesus to enter just the depths of your heart, your mind, and your soul. Speaking to you directly, speaking to your situation directly, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. invite the worship team forward. Stephen, do I have that quote next? So Cyprian was an early church leader. There's a gentleman that wrote a book called The Patient Ferment that is one of the greater gifts to authorship, I think, in the, the early stage of the church that I think we can learn from. And essentially what he captures is there's a number of virtues that church fathers talked about 100, 200, 300, 500 years after Jesus. And one of the top virtues was patience. That Christians, that followers of Jesus would be marked as people of patience because Greco-Roman society was not patience. Romans actually had a coin um, 
Pax Romana, and it was the peace of Rome. If you can imagine Rome at the time, they were powerful. They had armies, they had money, they had wealth. They were the central of everything happening in the world at that point financially. Their economy was thriving, but what they did is they built a life of peace, not on peace. They did it by abusing power, by suppressing. To be a follower in the days of Jesus would be to be under the boot of Rome, to essentially have no peace. That if you became a follower of Jesus, you were actually resisting the ways of Rome. And when you resist Rome, you receive the the boot of Rome. And what they said is that the, the church, the early church grew, not because of great evangelism tactics, but because Christians were patient. They were people that endured. They were people that turned the other cheek. There were people that waited and trusted God for carrying things out. And he says that patience is a distinctive sign of the Christian. It enables believers to live in the way of Christ amid the crisis of their lives. Patience will temper angle, bridle the tongue, govern the mind, guard peace. It will extinguish the fire of dissension, restrain the power of the wealthy, teach us to pardon our offenders quickly, and to ask pardon of others. As you think about wars that wage in the name of establishing peace, Imagine if this was tried on by those in power. Those that use money and loans and investments to take advantage of the already poor. Imagine if this was tried on. Those that have unreconciled relationships over and over and over again in their life. Imagine if this was tried on, that they were patient. He ends up capturing Tertullian, Cyprian, a number of others. And it says this. I'm going to read these. We can start playing, and then we're just going to enter into a time of communion reflection. Patience is rooted in God's character. God is patient, is working inexorably across the centuries to accomplish his mission, and in the fullness of time has disclosed himself in Jesus Christ. Part of patience is revealed in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Jesus' life and teaching demonstrate what patience means and beckon those who follow him to a patient lifestyle that participates in God's mission. Patience is not in human control. People who love, who uh, people whose life a patient live a patient lifestyle trust God and do not try to manipulate outcomes. They live in cautiously, riskily. Patience is not in a hurry. Patient Christians live at the pace given by God, accepting incompleteness and waiting. Patience is unconventional. It reconfigures behavior according to Jesus' teaching in many areas, especially wealth, sex, and power. Patience is not violent. It accepts injury without retaliating in kind because violence is not God's calling to them and cannot bring fundamental change. Patience gives religious freedom. It does not compel religious beliefs and observances. Patience is hopeful and entrusts the future confidently to God. Are you patient? Are you patient in the things of your life, trusting that God will carry through even when you do not see it? Even when you do not have the answer, even when the things that you want and desire are going and met, can you be patient? Can you pause? Can you slow down? Can you wait? Can you do all the things that are countercultural to everything around you in your life right now? What starts to happen is people see patient people and they say, that's different. That's different. You're not actually trying to make people change on your wishes and your whims. You're patient. You're patient for God to work in and through them for not just become who you think they are. You're patient. All the things that you desire financially to find success and achievement, you're patient. What would that look like? How would other people notice something different about you in your life? Are you patient? Because I believe that peace is a gift. 
And that if we can actually practice patience in our life, we will more often experience the peace that Jesus offers us. Can we be people that are patient? Why don't we stand? Am I going to get a few people for the prayer team forward? And we're going to hold for just a few minutes here. We're going to create space. Rob's going to come up and lead us in communion and reflection. There's some prayer people on the side. What I want to encourage in right now, I think that there's two people specifically. One is that peace feels so far off for you. You're torn on the inside. Things feel like they're falling apart on the outside. You constantly feel like you're not in a place of peace, and you do not know when the thing that you're in or is happening to you is not going to end, and that causes less peace. And it's hard. That sucks. I'm sorry. I encourage you to come to receive prayer for God's peace to be restored, to come in, to enter, to be with you in this season of anticipation. And if for some of you feel like, man, I'm okay, I feel great. I don't have a lot of stress. I don't have a lot of things weighing on me. Life's pretty good. Well, then let me ask you, is the peace that you have actually changing the things around you for those who cannot experience peace? Are they noticing patience in your life even though you feel okay? Because you might feel good, but you actually do not know what to do or how to do or how to move into action with Jesus. So if that's you, I'd encourage you to come, come forward and receive prayer. Rob's going to bring us into communion and reflection.